Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 190. Join me, Albert. We'll be venturing to the deep, dark, deep, dark, deep, dark, deep, dark, deep, dark. All right. I'm not even sure I got the intro correct for some reason. <laughs> I don't know, but hi, Albert. Yeah. Hi. Hey, Julius. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Hopefully, it'll be good enough. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Today, Hello. we are going to be talking about Dungeon Alliance. Mm-hmm. That's a game I know basically nothing about. <laughs> I've never played it. Or I'd, I'd heard the name, I guess. Well, it was a game I originally picked up off of Kickstarter. It's by Andrew Parks, um, and it is a cooperative. Actually, excuse me. It's not necessarily cooperative. It can either be played cooperative or competitive between one to four players. Uh, but in its essence, it is a dungeon um a dungeon delver where you're going through a dungeon trying to fight off all the enemies and get the most amount of XP by the end of the game, or just manage to clear your way through the whole dungeon by the end of four rounds. You're going to be going through spending cards in a mini, a limited amount of deck building. So you're going to have your deck and you're going to be able to add to it over the course of the game. And you'll spend those cards in order to be able to do actions, usually trying to tie a bunch of cards together in order to have as powerful a turn as possible to kill the monsters and continue exploring deeper and deeper into the dark, dark dungeon. Okay. That sounds like a typical dungeon crawl. (laughs) It does sound very much like a typical dungeon crawl. And in theme, it's mostly just that. But we will return back to that in theme because the first thing that we normally talk about is the rules. Albert, I believe that you said that you have had the opportunity to look over the rules. Have you not? I have not. I had meant to, and then last Wednesday happened, and it just totally threw me off Uh, my game. I, I just never did anything. Well, let's pretend I didn't call you out on that one by my apologies. Oh, no, that's fine. Call me out. I don't care. <laughs> no shame. So <laughs> the rules for this one, I think, are generally okay with a couple of um, nitpicks. It mostly goes through your general rules, goes through the, the setup and how to do things. What I think would have been a lot more helpful is having fast notes somewhere on how to have a speedy setup because a lot of the setup involves having to sort out specific things based on the number of players. So you'll sort out dungeon tiles because there's three levels of dungeon tiles and three levels of enemies and different levels of XP pools. Um, And you'll have to sort all that out. And there's not really a fast, quick way to set up the game. You sort of have to explore through and, and figure it out from the rules or print off a handy-dandy rules reference sheet, or even with much later expansions, they finally had cards that were quick reference sheets. But for some reason, they didn't include those in the rules, even though it would have been a very nice thing to do, because one of the first things I did when I got the game was print off just one of those quick reference sheets, because otherwise, if all you're trying to do is look up, okay, how many of each thing do I have to pull out? Because the rest of it is easy at that (laughs) point in time. That is a fast, simple way of telling you it's just a chart wasn't included. With that exception, I think in general, the rules are relatively easy. It splits it off into setup, then it splits it up into how the various rounds of the game goes, and then it tells you how your turn goes, which is the first 
part of each round and it tells how the enemies go, which is the second part of each round. And then it gives you more details on the last phase. I think possibly the only issue I had with it is that first it tells you about how your round goes in general. And then later it starts talking about some of the specific actions you have once it's gone through all the round details. I think that probably reorganizing that point that somewhere else would have been better. But even with those, there actually is reference cards for much of the stuff that is meant, that is put later on. So even you'll pull out the reference card and be like, what is this reference card saying? And you'll quickly realize you need to go look at that specific section of the rules anyway. So I think in general, the rules are okay, with the exception mm-hmm. that I wish there was a better quick reference. Okay. Sounds like you could almost use a reference of reference cards. Um, kind of similar to how you do that on Mage Knight, where you have your big stack of reference cards. Yeah, I don't think that would have been a bad thing. Oh, <laughs> I have never played that one. Still haven't played it. Uh, Albert. Okay, so I'll send you my so <laughs> average rules. Uh, yeah. Sounds like they're just average, average rules. rules. Okay. Um, talking about the theme, you mentioned before that it is your basic dungeon crawl theme. It is your basic dungeon crawl theme. It is a group of people who are going into a dungeon and there's your typical orcs and dragons and gnomes and hydras. Like there's a mix of all sorts of different things. You certainly don't get any aspect of story or anything else out of it, even though, all the characters are named. In fact, you get for each of your cards, there is a, a card that has a picture of your person, the stats for your person, and a brief one paragraph summary of who that person is, the character background. In all honesty, for as vague as a lot of this is, like I kind of would have preferred if those would have been formatted differently so that I had a bigger art picture of the person and less text about the person like dwarf assassin (laughs) pretty well summarizes it. I don't think you need to tell me the whole thing about what a dwarf, like at that point in time, I know what a dwarf assassin is. I don't need a paragraph to tell me what a dwarf assassin is. Just give me a better picture of the art. Like it's so bland and common anyway. And that whole thing, (laughs) everything else, like you mix in also like there's hydras mixed in with manticores mixed in with vampires and zombies. It's not like it even hails to one particular segment. It's not like you're, you're going into a yoka, a battle with ancient spirits or you're specifically going through a Greek uh, labyrinth or you're going into Mm -hmm. a dark eldritch tomb. It doesn't, focus on any one specific one of those it literally throws on all of those i think that if they would have taken a specific theme and pushed it just a little bit more even if what they would have said like i mean they could have they could have said that this is a specifically a dark tomb or specifically like they they could have done more specific rather than just staying vague and been like we are dungeon crawling and that's it (laughs) They mixed it all up and they went way too wide because of that. And I think they would have been helped by being a little bit more narrow in focus. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So that is about theme. Let me continue on through this and talk about components. Um, for the components, 
you're going to have a whole big box of cardboard and stuff. Um, when you build the board, the first thing you're going to need to do when you're setting up, there are these frame segments. Um, if you've played Catan, you're familiar with the C pieces that go around the outside of the board. Mm -hmm. And they're like these cardboard pieces. Now, the, depending on what version of Catan you're in about whether or not those pieces interlock or just sort of sit on the outside, these ones do not interlock. They just sort of sit on the outside, but they form the outer edge of the dungeon, which is just a way of making sure that your dungeon doesn't exceed the size that's supposed to be. So in solo, it's only supposed to be a three by three square and it builds out from the, the first place you go always is the center bottom square of your three by three. So having that frame there ensures that the dungeon grows the right way and doesn't become like, um, castles of Mad King Ludwig style dungeon and go every which way. It will only <laughs> ever form into a rectangle of whatever dimensions it's supposed to be. Um, those segments, though, do not interlock. They do not necessarily hold in any way. So if you bump them, if you are the sort of person who wants things to look very nice and neat, they will very Hold easily on. stop being very nice and neat. So I remember when I first got this, I was looking into trying to figure out how to like 3d print some sort of border In later expansions. They came out with some play mats that instead of having those frames, you just have a giant play mat. Um, and the play mat forms the square, which helps me when I play with the play mat and setting up those frames, because I think it looks a lot neater and a lot nicer. When I use those frames, I would admit that the fact that it didn't link up, the fact that there was a break in the wall, I would constantly just sort of be like, shove it back, <laughs> fix it, put it back together. <laughs> um, and it came apart very easily. But I, I will admit, I um, would be a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit obsessive about such things, I will admit. And that probably wouldn't bother everyone, but it certainly did bother me. Fortunately, I do own the playmats, so that particular issue is solved for me. There are, ah, so okay. I mentioned, say again? I said, ah, okay. So I mentioned that there are these dungeon tiles that are going to these dungeon frames. So these are a bunch of squares. And you're going to shuffle them up over the course of the game and pull out a number of one, two, or three tiles. And each of the tiles is going to be another square with nine individual spots, which will be spots, spaces, essentially, for either a hero, a trap, or a monster. So when you reveal them, pre-printed on the different tiles will be a specific configuration of traps and monsters. So one of the things you'll be able to do over the course of the game is open up a door. When you open up a door, you get to pick one of the available rooms from a display of rooms. And so therefore you're also picking what monsters you're going to see on the other side of that door. Strangely about how that works with thematics that you can pick which monsters you're fighting, but you get to pick <laughs> the monsters you're fighting. Um, which is a nice mechanic and it's nicely implemented. It's relatively clear to be able to see what monsters there are when you're doing it as a potential negative though, as I mentioned, these dungeon tiles, the easiest way to do that is also because each of the monsters has a whole bunch of tokens representing that monster. Um, small little or not small little squares, about one inch by one inch squares that you'll, at, when you're setting up, you'll make piles of all of them unless you have, uh, I have them stored in a Plano. Um, also, each one of those monsters has a reference card for it because on the token itself, it has its basic strength, um, agility, toughness, 
and health. Um, so you can reference those, but there's no reference for any special abilities. It may have a star by strength to tell you that it has a special ability by star, but the only way to actually know what the special ability is, is go look it up among a little deck of reference cards. And the way the game tells you to set it up is lay all those reference cards out and then lay all of the various tokens on top of the reference cards so that you can look over the table and figure out which of the ones you're referring to when you need to. Hmm. I, so that's going to take up a lot of space, I take it. Right, I don't like that. <laughs> Not only okay. does that really increase the amount of setup time that you have, um, it also means that you have to look over the whole table instead of just asking for a card because theoretically the card would have tokens and things underneath it. The, the, this could have been done in many other ways. Um wasn't i mean i suppose the ba- basic other way would have been instead of having a bunch of cards it could have had a rule book reference um with a separate entries and a book for each character and pass around a book rather than having it be cards that you set up but then you wouldn't have a place to put the monsters but i would prefer to put the monsters in a plano or some other organizer anyway because that's a lot easier to set up <sighs> who knows but it it is what it is when it comes right down to it um, those are really the main components that you're going to be seeing over the course of the game is going to be those tiles and those monster tokens, the one inch monster tokens that are going to be used to represent the monster tokens. Um, for you on your side, you're going to have your figures for your person and your wound tokens. So every player is going to be picking four heroes and each of those heroes has a mini associated with them. Relatively decent quality for minis. I'm not a painter, but I think they look fine. The the wound tokens are when you damage a monster, you don't theoretically kill it immediately. Each of them will have a health. In order to track how much damage you did to a monster, you'll put a color wound token under it, which are these wooden square tokens that you go underneath the square monster tokens. Um, That way, whoever does the final kill, they'll be able to track who did the most amount of damage and divide up the XP earned from killing that monster with anyone who delivered wounds. So the game sort of encourages not kill still it, not kill stealing, um, but trying to either kill a monster entirely by yourself or at the very least dealing with the majority of damage so that you get the majority of the XP. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and those are the main tokens that you're going to see for your character in addition to just miscellaneous other tokens. Um, I believe that just about covers components. Albert, did you have any other comments? Is it a is it a big box or, or what? Uh, it's a ticket to ride size box. Okay, that's not so bad at all. Ticket to ride size. Um, it's not necessarily okay. it's not big enough to hold all the expansions that are currently out, but that's you know there's a fair number oh. of expansions. <laughs> okay, at least cool. it's not, it's not big enough when I have an organizer right now. Um, I am not going to be talking about the expansions because there's a fair number of them, and I think that they would be worth discussing all by themselves since they do a number of different things. So that will have to be for a later podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so continuing on, let us talk at this point about the gameplay. And I think the gameplay is where, if we haven't spoken for long enough already is where a fair number of comments are going to be coming in as well. 
Um, as I mentioned, this is in essence a deck builder. So what you're going to do is you're going to have a hand of cards and the cards have a primary use for each of them. Um, cards can only be used by whichever type or even specific characters referenced on the corner of them. When you initially set up your deck, you'll have inside your deck um, a set of three cards per hero that can only be used by that hero. So if, for example, when you get your initial cards and you have five cards, but they only belong to two out of your four heroes, then your choices on who you want to activate first may be a little bit limited. You won't really be able to activate one of the heroes that you don't have very many cards for. Um, as you upgrade your cards, the upgraded cards are a little bit less limited. So upgraded cards that you'll be able to turn in experience points to add to your deck um, may or will be limited of some sort. So they may only be usable by humans or fighters or bards or clerics or orcs or specifically a bard orc or a, or a double eldritch person or what have you. They'll have printed on it exactly what requirements must be done to have that. So if you have that card, you cannot apply it for someone else who doesn't have it. So for example, do something that lets you deal extra damage with a fighter, but you're trying to use your archer right now, you simply cannot use that card. So mm -hmm. that, that there's a fair number of choices because of that as you're building out your deck about which cards you'll want to draft because you may want to push your deck a certain way to help certain people or shore up certain lines. And even more so, it makes a difference when you're drafting your starting heroes because you'll want to think about how you're setting it up. You'll want to make sure that you both have enough versatility among your heroes to be able to use the cards that are presented to you. So for example, if you would grab all humans, human fighters, then you'll have very few cards that are accessible to you throughout the course of the draft. But on the other hand, if you go too broad, if you have only one human fighter and one dwarf and one elf and one gnome and everyone is their own special thing, then if a card gets draft, it's still being limited to just being usable by a single character, which will mean that you'll have varying levels of effectiveness if that comes up at exactly the right time that you want it. Otherwise, you'll be hoping that you get it together with all the other cards that that character can use. So that aspect of the card pool and the cards that you're drafting helps make sure that there's a very measured decision about how you're playing the game, how you're drafting it, what cards it is that you're selecting to use. Now then, this limitation... Are, are you sometimes then forced to draft cards that you aren't even going to be able to use? You are not forced to or allowed to draft cards that you can't use. If you can't use okay. them, then you can't draft them. In the multiplayer game, or excuse me, in the non-cooperative game, what you can do is you can pitch a card that you cannot use and hope to pull a card that you can. If you can, then you could draft it if you want. If you pull another card that you can't use, then you simply don't get to draft that time. When you're playing cooperative, oh, okay. instead, if there's only cards that you cannot use available, then you simply cannot draft. You would have to pitch um, in order to be able to draft anything, and there's no chance for anyone else to be able to draft it. And the game will at one point in time start removing cards from the drafting pool, and then you'll be able to refresh it and hope that you get luckier. But you may not 
you may not get lucky or you may just simply end up with stuff that you cannot draft. Interesting. Okay. Now then, you mentioned about cards that you cannot use. So as I mentioned, sometimes there will be times when you draw a card that you cannot use. Every character has the ability to do once per their activation. You'll, each character will activate four times over the course of the game. Yes, only four times. Um, but each character, once per their activation, will have the ability to do a burst of strength. So you're familiar with the idea of playing cards and Mage Knight sideways to be able to use it as just like a one attack, a one defense, a one movement. It's the same type of thing. If you play a card face down, you can use it for just a one in one thing. So you can use it essentially as a plus one attack, plus one defense, uh, plus one move, things like that. So you still have some versatility and ability for cards even if you don't have use for them. Because, for example, if you've already activated one of the characters and afterwards you draw their card, you can still hold on to it for a burst of strength later. And knowing when and how to use your burst of strengths is something you will need to use. Uh, I think that you probably want to be able to use them all efficiently every single time because that plus one extra is often enough just to get you in when the monsters are the way the monsters are. So, again, it's a nice little aspect of the game that continues to reward intelligent behavior and give you something else that you can play smart about. That sounds neat. That sounds fun. I like how you always have that card available. Mm -hmm. I mean, it works great in... in, um, I forgot the name of the game. I can't really forget the name of the game. What's that game called? Mage Knight? Thank you. <laughs> I forgot the game name of Mage Knight. Yeah, it, it works well there. I mean, it works really well there, right? So It, it does work very well in Mage Knight, and the same idea is just applied here and works really well here because that continues to have provide you a lot of versatility and, and to, to be able to use your deck well um, and sort of emergency button at you out of getting stuck with certain cards. So it's well implemented to borrow that mechanic here. Um, I mentioned just now that you only get to activate four times per character, and that's absolutely true. There are four rounds to the game, and each character will only activate once per round, then they're exhausted for the rest of the round. So you're only going to get to use each character only about four times, or only four times. So you may think that that means that the game does not take very long. Um, Usually the game still takes me about two hours to play, even just four activations, and possibly longer than that with multiplayer it's been way too long since i played multiplayer so i I don't remember how long it takes multiplayer (laughs) um but it still takes quite a while to play through even with those those four activations because there's still a lot of uh, consideration that goes into it both with how you move and how you move the monsters um so even though you might think that with just 12 activations i'm sorry with just 16 activations over the course of the game I can math. With just 16 uh, activations in the course of the game that it wouldn't take too long, but it, it does take a significant amount of time. Um, additionally, I mentioned that you get to pick the monsters that you are fighting. The amount of ability you have to control the monsters is actually kind of impressive for this game. Um, not only do you get to pick the monsters that you're fighting, within certain constraints, you even get to pick what the monsters do. If you're playing a competitive game, the way it works is that um, after you um, fight with a, after you use activate your characters, you then also get to activate one monster. 
Generally, you're required to activate the monster that is not nearest to you so that other players have a chance to cause a monster to fight you. Um, but So you can activate a monster and have a monster go fight another player. When you're playing cooperative, obviously that doesn't work so well because you're not trying to have monsters fight anyone else. So the cards, there's a deck of cooperative and solo cards that will come out that specifically tell you which monsters you have to fight. So like it may be the, high, the highest XP monster you have to fight, which are usually the most dangerous, or it's the one with the highest movement or the highest fight or whatever it is that pops up out of the deck. And those you know about coming up, theoretically you have time to plan for it and you'll want to plan for it because if you don't have a monster out that can fight, usually the cards will also give you a whole bunch of negative difficulties. Like they'll deal automatic damage to you or they'll take away some of your XP points, which is how you win the game. So you want to make sure that you're arranging for having a monster that fulfills the criteria of the card. Otherwise you can be in trouble. But because you're the one controlling the monsters, you continue to have a lot of power and control and intelligent thought that goes into how you're planning their turn, I suppose you'd say. How you're planning their turn and what it is that you're going to have them do. Again, all of this just continues to reward intelligent and measured play. It helps, it makes you feel smart when you do well. <laughs> and dumb when you don't. I don't think dumb if you don't because <laughs> there's a lot of things that can mess you over and it is a tough game. Um, for a lot of these monsters, they have a unique tie-in between their abilities or their toughness or their health that it's not easy to defeat them quickly. Um, often you don't have a whole bunch of fight. Like you may be able to do four damage and this guy has four shields. So even though he only has two health, every single point of damage you do on him is entirely wasted. You have to do a burst of strength to do any damage at all. And this means that you have to make sure that you're getting the right cards, revealing them at the right time, running away, pinning them down, using some of your other abilities to make sure they can't hit back. All sorts of tricks and intelligent moves to try and get the most out of being able to do that. But sometimes you just don't get it. Sometimes a plan just doesn't work out. Like some of these guys roll a die when they attack to get a bonus. And some of your abilities roll a die when you attack to get a bonus. And that may mean that you're stuck with a guy right next to you that that's going to give you a big swing back. And you just don't simply have a choice on how it is that you're going to be taking that hit. And you're going to be ending up taking some damage in response. And that's just sort of the way of it. Mm -hmm. that's that sounds interesting that sounds sounds like a fun game um i do think that it is a very fun game i haven't really mentioned traps um but i do just want to mention them briefly that some of them instead of having monsters have traps which also just is something unique that can be added towards the game to be able to do something different um, than just fighting a monster instead of when you go in a room, there's a trap and sometimes you'll be able to disarm it if you're clear of monsters and anyone else who's nearby. So, yes. Um, and again, over the course of the game, you get more powerful, you get cooler cards in your deck, and the monsters get more powerful because the level three monsters are much more powerful than the level one monsters at the end. And that is about everything for the base level of the game without any of the other expansions involved. 
Wow, okay. That, that sounds neat. It doesn't sound bad at all. Um, you know, I, I noticed recently, I tend not to really look at dungeon crawlers at all. I kind of ignore them. But this one sounds fun because it sounds like it's actually more of a puzzle than a dungeon crawl type game. Even though the theme is obviously dungeon crawl. The, the theme is very heavily dungeon crawl. It it very much is dungeon crawl. And it screams that it's generic dungeon crawl. But it is a puzzle because very similar to Mage Knight, you have a hand of cards and you generally know what other cards are in your deck. You put them there to begin with and mm-hmm. you know what you started with. You know that you have three cards per character to begin with. So yeah, it's a puzzle. It's being able to use your hand optimally to be able to do the optimal thing. And I know that there's been many times where I simply haven't even looked at the solo cards or the co-op cards. They actually are the co-op cards to, to plan. I know I should be like afterwards. I'm like, Oh, I did not do well because I did not plan. There's no one to kick, but you yourself. And you know that you could have done better. And (laughs) you know, that is almost to the credit of the game because when you're feeling like I could have done better, I could have done something well. The the game is challenging and giving you a lot of options and giving you an enjoyable play. I have very much enjoyed my plays of this game. I like the I like the gameplay that goes into it. I like the balance of how you organize all the fights and how um, how your choices happen on the course of all of it. I certainly can feel that it is a little bit of a, a bear to pull out because of the amount of time involved and sort of the fiddliness of being able to track wound tokens and things like that. It can become a little bit of a fill board, but altogether I really do like the dungeon crawls. I, I, I think it's a good competitor with that mage knight style of puzzle hand management play. Mm-hmm. And you said it's a couple hours to play the game, it is. even solo. It is much shorter than Mage. Okay. Mage, Mage oh, is it? Like, Mage is like four to four to six <laughs> oh, <laughs> to play gosh. a full okay. to play a full game, not a quick game. Like the the Mage has a couple scenarios. There's one scenario where you essentially populate half the board, and you don't play through a full game. But assuming you're playing through a full game, yeah, Mage Knight's like a really long game. Ah, oh, okay. That is something that I would rarely get to play. <laughs> <laughs> this one's shorter, but it's still a couple hours. Okay. That's more doable. Definitely. And I definitely think that the expansions help it out even more, especially in terms of adding variability, uh, creating different types of things you can do, creating. I think that probably the only major negative to the game like i think the the weakest part of the game other than the very generic theme is that there's no big boss battle at the end of it at the end of the dungeon the last challenge is to finish off the dungeon to fight the last monsters but there's not a big boss and the expansions um even the earliest expansions did start to create um additional bosses that would come out in terms of quests and things like that and these helped create a dramatic inclusion. You don't really have that dramatic inclusion for the end of it, but I'm I'm not sure. Like I don't necessarily always like fighting the bosses because they're, they're tough, and I have I have a perfectly fine time just beating beating all the monsters and clearing the dungeon. So I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I've never played Mage Knight. Either, but I played the the Star Trek Mage Knight, and I find I enjoyed the game and I joined the exploring, but I did not enjoy the the end fight anyway. I I didn't like the boss because they're so darn hard. Yeah. Um, you kind of feel a little bit the same way. I haven't, I'm not really discussing the bosses so much, but yeah, I, I do understand where you're coming from with mage Knight And with this one, there's a tough fight if you have that, that, but I really do want to reserve that sort of discussion for a later date because there's a fair number of things that come out over the expansions. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so, so without the expansions, do you think this is still a fine game? And, and fun? I, I think that this is a fun game. And some of the things from the expansion, like I don't always play with when I'm playing the game, but I just play base game type stuff. And I still really enjoy it. I still highly recommend it. I very much enjoy this game. Cool. Okay. That sounds neat. It really does sound neat. Sounds like something I would enjoy. Well, hopefully you'll have a chance one day. All right. Excellent. And then I look forward to hearing about the expansion sometime in the future, future, future. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.